This week, uh, I taught Cooper about fractions. Some of you guys might know that Cooper is homeschooled, and I taught him about fractions this week. Fire that slide up there, Dave. Uh, this is the, one of the worksheets that Cooper did. That's his, uh, his writing. The orange stuff there is his writing, and the, the cross stuff there. Uh, really impressive that he's in first grade, and he's dealing with second grade fractions. Uh, proud father. Uh, but as you, you see there, his, his, his work was taking that circle. Before he got to it, it was just a, an empty circle. And he was supposed to divide the circle into four equal parts and then color in one to make one four. You, see, you follow that? The next one there, that triangle, he's supposed to make it into one. So two equal parts and put color one half of it orange. All the way down, there's nine questions there. And uh, really, you know, the, the three-eighths there, he had to make eight equal parts out of the circle. Pretty impressive that he was able to, to pretty much do that. Uh, so uh, that, I, I put that up there because Cooper is a first grader learning about fractions. This is an intro to fractions. It's all very simple. And, and everything that they had there is they're trying to break everything into equal parts. When you start dealing with fractions and unequal parts and start adding and subtracting fractions or start trying to subtract fractions, you've got to make the denominators common and all that stuff and confusing for a first grader. But this is an introduction to fractions. And then you begin to multiply or divide fractions and then it just gets more deep the, the further and further you get along in, in math. Uh, so I, I wanted to, to bring this to our attention because it's, it's this concept that, that paints the reason for us to, to go deep with the cross and go deep with atonement. I'm fearful that a big portion of people in churches across the country have this understanding of fractions is our understanding of the atonement. We, okay, we understand there's something called the atonement. We understand that Jesus died, and it was that death that brought me relationship with Christ, but don't really understand the inner workings of what it was all about. So we're going to go past this understanding of fractions with the atonement and try to go deep and understand exactly what Christ accomplished on the cross. And uh, like I said, it'll be very scholastic, and, and I hope that we can we can get past that and think deeply, but also open our hearts to uh, the worship that God has for us. Hebrews 6.1 says, Let us leave behind the elementary doctrine of Christ and move towards maturity. It's that phrase that motivates this message tonight. Hebrews 6.1. That's probably the only piece of scripture that won't be on, on the screen tonight. But let me repeat it. Let us leave behind the elementary doctrine of Christ. Let us leave behind the Cooper's hard-to-gather to fraction table that we just saw and move towards the depth, move towards maturity and understanding what was accomplished by Christ on the cross. John Calvin says this, For in the cross of Christ, as in a splendid theater, the incomparable goodness of God is set before the world. For in the cross of Christ, as in a splendid theater, the incomparable goodness of God is set before the whole world. Because of the truth of that statement, we do very, very well to stop and linger and think through all that the cross means. So look intently into the cross. Driscoll, in that book, uh, Vintage Jesus, says this, the cross is the purest act of love ever committed in this world. 
the cross is the purest act of love ever committed in this world. That's uh, pretty strong. So tonight we land on a very important topic. Uh, you have the, the outline there in front of you to, to kind of walk along with us. Substitutionary atonement. Sometimes people just stop with atonement, but substitutionary atonement says more than the atonement. Somebody had to atone for our sins. Jesus was substituted so that we didn't have to because it's something we couldn't do. Which I wanna, I've, I've spoken a lot about the definition of grace. A lot of times we stop with this definition of grace. Something that we don't deserve. But it's more than that. It's not only something we don't deserve, but it's something that we can't attain for ourselves. So if we are going to, we cannot atone for our sins, we have to have a substitute. And it's that understanding that we need someone to substitute in our place to atone for our sins. That's where we get this concept of substitutionary. Some people even call it vicarious atonement. Wayne Grudem, a guy uh, who wrote a systematic theology book, the best one out there, says this in his definition of the nature of atonement. It is important to notice that in both of these categories, and we'll get to these two categories in a second, the primary emphasis and the primary influence of Christ's work of redemption is not on us, but on God the Father. We're 2010 Americans. Religion, Scripture, Christ, God, all we think is pointing fingers at us. Christ's atonement on the cross is not simply about you. It's a byproduct and a beneficial, great, worship-bringing byproduct, but ultimately, Christ's atonement and Christ's sacrifice on the cross is pointing to God and not to you. Grips with that, and, and that is where we will walk through tonight. The first category uh, Grudem talks about in, in, his, uh, in his quote there, but also the whole of atonement, it says this, Christ's obedience for us, or active obedience. What that means is Christ had to live a perfect life of obedience in order to earn righteousness for us. Scripture says that when we are guilty of sin, breaking of the law, we're guilty of breaking it all. So we have to, we can earn our salvation. Philippians 3.9, and I'm going to stop several times on, on simple phrases as we walk through these verses. Philippians 3.9 says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ. Righteousness of God that depends on God's Our obedience before God is vicariously played out through Christ. That our atonement is found in in Christ. We are found in Him because we don't have a righteousness of our own. That righteousness comes from Jesus. Romans 5.19 says it more specifically and, and maybe a little bit better, more, more uh, easy for us to, to lay our hand, hands on and, and hold up. For as by one man's disobedience, that is Adam and Eve's, the many were made sinners. We are inherited our sin. We, we come from our mother's womb. Psalm 51 talks about we are coming from, we were born in sin. We can't help it. We have Adam and Eve's disobedience in us. We have sin in us when we were born. So, by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I want to stop for just a second. Here's the first time for us to stop and see a simple phrase here. Look at that verse. If you got it in front of you, fine, take a look at it. If not, look up here. Look at those last two words in Romans 5.19. And 
and own it. Chew on it. You, because of the work of Christ, because of all this stuff that we're talking about, the atonement, the vicarious substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross brings this to you. The title of this sermon on top of your bulletin says, The Results of the Cross. This is the result of the cross. You are made righteous. I want you to own that. There are several things that I want us to all walk away with, with complete and full understanding of. And the first thing is, according to Romans 5.19, you were made righteous through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. That's why this is vastly important. That's why we have to go past the, the elementary teachings of Christ, the, the Cooper's Fraction page, and go deep into the heart of it to understand that we were and are and will forever be made righteous. You stand right before God because of this substitutionary atonement. And I'm being repetitive intentionally so we can land and understand the depth of what Romans 5.19 is talking about. So, the implication of this is that you are righteous before God because of Jesus' work. We have to own that. And you're right standing before God. Here's the other thing that this verse brings us. Your right standing before God is completely and utterly independent of your behavior. You can't do a thing to gain righteousness before God. Christ has already done it. Your behavior does not bring you this righteousness. Christ's behavior brings you this righteousness. It's absolutely important for us to come to grips with it because in our religious society, we can run around striving to do more, to be more, to, to modify our behavior so that we can gain some sort of perspective, gain some sort of righteousness with Christ. It is impossible. We have to throw ourselves onto the grace and mercy and of Jesus. The second category, the first one was quick. The second one we'll spend a lot of time on. Four subcategories under this second big category. Christ suffering for us or passive obedience. Christ took on himself the suffering necessary to pay for the penalty of sin. We're going to break this down into four specific points. But let me say that again. These are the things, these are the sufferings that were necessary for Christ to take upon himself in order to bring us that righteousness in order to bring us uh, to for sin. Without each one of these four subcategories, the atonement, there is no atonement. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that sentence again when we deal with each one of these categories. First, physical pain and death. There is no atonement without the physical pain and the physical death of Jesus. Another scholarly thing there. There is no atonement without a physical pain and a physical death of Jesus. Isaiah 53.5, talking about the scourging and crucifixion that's going to come. By the way, Isaiah was written about 600 years before Christ actually died, and he predicted this, Isaiah 53.5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. With his penalty, with his death, with his pain and suffering, the, the crucifixion that he brought, without there is no atonement. The second one, we'll spend more time here, is the pain of bearing 
our sin. Let me say this. Without, the, without Jesus bearing our sin on Himself, there is no atonement. This week, uh, Cooper and Mams were having a little, little arguing match. They, a lot of times, they, they start... This usually happens between Cooper and Hannah. This week, it's between Cooper and, and Mams. Uh, they're, they're arguing a little bit, and, and I'm kind of studying and, and working a little bit, so I'm not paying that close attention to them. And usually when they get into a little arguing match, they'll, they'll get through it themselves, especially when it's Cooper and Mia, because Cooper really wants, to, he, he wants to, to hurt Hannah. He wants to help Mia. That's just the way it works. You guys have probably noticed that. Uh, so they start arguing, and then in a matter of like two seconds, it goes from this little yelling match to this escalates to this huge thing. And just as I look over there, Cooper comes with a big high hand and right on top of me his head, pretty much as hard as he can. And as he gets to about right here, he looks up and he sees that I'm watching him. And, and instantly, he is just destroyed that I'm watching him. And, and I don't say a word to him. He, he finishes the swing and runs straight to his room. And he starts, like, as soon as I look at him, before he even starts to hit her, He's already ready to cry. He's crying already. And he runs to his bed, crying, slams his door. And, and I walk into the bedroom and go in there. And I'm angry at him because I've taught him over and over again, you're here to protect your little sister, not to hurt her. And, and I, I, I spank him. And then I say, all right, Cooper, you're going to calm down. You're going to stop crying. You're going to stop crying in the next five seconds or you're going to get more spanking. You're going to be in here all day. Stop. Let's talk about it. So... Just a few seconds later, he stops, and this is the, the beauty of the gospel that's being transformed in this little six-year-old's heart. He says this to me. He said, Dad, and this is like maybe a minute after he's just whacked his sister. He said, Dad, I'm not crying because... I'm going to be in trouble, or you're going to spank me, or you're going to keep dessert for me. I'm not crying for any of those reasons. I'm crying because I'm supposed to protect my sister, and I just hit her. And it, I mean, I'm just sitting there like near tears look, with my son, and like, yes, yes, man, yes, you got it. But the thing is, is he sat in this room for about 15 or 20 more minutes, just broken, just bearing the weight of of how he had just wronged his sister. And it, it broke this little six-year-old heart that he, he was supposed to be this. And instead he did this. So the weight of his sin caused him pain and caused him tears and caused him issue. And it's that understanding, that 20 minutes of, of torture that was in my, my poor little son's heart for, for that time in his bedroom, that is upon Christ. You can, I hope that you connected with the emotion that was in Cooper's heart as he sat there. I'm supposed to protect her, and I didn't, and I feel horrible. I'm, I'm crying and wailing in my bedroom because I feel so bad about the sin that, that I just committed. And it's, it's that, that, that's a, a six-year-old's understanding of, of the gravity and weight of sin, and it brought him to 20 minutes, which is time to a six-year-old. Of, of agony. Now, understand Christ bearing the weight of every sin that would ever be committed. The agony of that. Because 
Cooper has no clue his understanding of sin, his understanding of, of broken relationship is beyond elementary. Christ has full and complete understanding of the ramification, the result of sin. And the weight of sin is now upon him. Without the pain of bearing our sin, there is no atonement. And Christ goes to the cross willingly to bear the weight of the sin, to break relationship with the Father so that He can provide our substitutionary atonement. Jesus felt this pain on the cross. It is a tangible, felt, understood pain. The sin of the world was upon Him. Every sin that was ever done against the Father was upon Jesus in those moments on the cross. There are times uh, when... I've spoken about this many times, and it reminds me every time Jen and I get into a fight of the, the gravity of sin against Christ, of sin against God, and, and what that means. So many times when I do something stupid and I wrong Jen, I am overwhelmed. I am, I've, I've used the, the terms that I, I've just uh, paralyzed. I'm paralyzed. I can't do anything. I can't study. I can't work. I can't communicate. I can't do anything until relationship with my wife is restored and made right. Because I am bearing the weight of my sin upon my wife. And that is the beauty there. And, and I hope that you can think back to, to guilt, think back to remorse, think back to the broken relationship that you feel with people when you wrong someone. And that is beginning to understand the notion of this Bearing of the weight of sin. I want to bring three verses for us to, to understand that this is not just some guy talking, this is Scripture talking. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. That is our sin. We have turned every one to his own way. We have all sinned. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us. Then behind the semicolon there. And the Lord has laid on him, bearing the weight of our sin. The Lord has weighed on him the iniquity of us all. When you hear somebody say, some pastor, some sermon say, Christ bared the weight of every sin ever committed, here's where we're, what we're talking about. Every time you ever speak a word of lie, every time Cooper hits his sister, all of that weight of sin is borne upon the shoulders of Christ. It was laid on him in Isaiah 53.6. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake... He made him to be sin. There's our phrase. Him to be Jesus became sin. Him who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53, 6. Sin, our, our iniquities were laid upon him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus is made to be sin. Again, I don't want to skip past this and get... Lost in the, in the minutiae, in the macro here. Let's pull back to 30,000 feet. We're talking about the atonement of Christ. Here it is. The atonement of Christ. Without this verse, without the truth of what's happening here, there is no atonement. Jesus is bearing, is becoming sin. God is laying on him all of our sin. This is the agony of the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins. Laid on him, he became sin, and now here in 1 Peter 2.24, he bore our sins in his body 
on the tree. There is agony that we can begin to understand, just like Cooper begins to understand the weight of his sin of hitting his sister, we can begin to understand what it meant for Christ to bear our sin, but we can never understand the gravity of the whole of it. Because for one thing, we can't fully comprehend all that sin is. We can't fully comprehend all that sin does and and its separation from us. Christ can and does. And He bears everyone's upon Him. And understand that deep, deep agony. We'll get to that agony as we continue. The third thing that it does, abandonment. Without Jesus being abandoned by God, there is no atonement. Understand that. Every one of these four things are totally... The atonement is contingent upon anyone. Take one of them out and you don't have atonement. If there is no abandonment by God, there is no atonement. Matthew twenty-six fifty-six talks about abandonment of people. Then all the disciples left him and fled. That comes right before the cross. He, he is arrested and sent away, and all the disciples leave. He had poured his life into these guys for three years, and in his time of need, they take off. But more specifically, more talking about God is this next passage in Habakkuk 1.13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Basically, can't look upon Sin. When we have sin in our lives, we are dead. God can't look upon us. We cannot have relationship with Him. That is the separation. If Jesus had the weight of a sin on Him, the what we just talked about, He bore our sins, He had it upon Him, He became sin. God had no ability, could not look upon Him. His holiness will not allow Him. Because the sin was upon Jesus, He was no longer in the presence of God. When I was uh, 16... My dad's dad, my grandfather, passed away. He died of a heart attack in his sleep. Uh, and then uh, about seven years later, my grandmother died of cancer. So there was a seven-year window where my grandpa was gone and my grandma was still alive. I remember my grandmother talking during those seven years, saying she had never, actually towards the end, at, towards the end of her life, she, she came and lived at our, at our house when I was like in college and uh, she came and, and lived there because she was going to the hospitals around here for, for her cancer and her chemo and all that stuff. And just so that we could, my, really, I think more than anything, so that my dad could spend the last few months of her life with her. And I remember her talking in those last few months. I remember overhearing this. And I remember her even saying it was that her life had never really been happy, really never had real joy since her husband died seven years ago. So she spent seven years in this being abandoned by her husband. She, I mean, he didn't decide to do it. It just happened. But she never really felt, she was deeply lonely for those seven years. And I remember my dad actually saying those words that my mom was never happy in the last seven years of her life because her husband was gone. And that begins to get at the notion of what Christ felt in this abandonment. But it's just a tiny, tiny fraction of it only part of the story. The whole of the story is that there had never been a time in all of eternity where Jesus was separated from the Father. And now here on the cross, as Jesus bears the weight of all of our sin, there is 
separation. There's abandonment for the first time ever. But not just from a loneliness standpoint. We read last week in Mark 15, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My grandfather didn't decide a heart attack in his bed and God took God forsakes Christ on the cross. It's not just about separation. It's about, I look at you, I see sin, I turn my back on you. There's, do, you do you see the difference in there? there? This is what Christ bore on our behalf. Not just the physical pain of death, not just bearing of sin, the pain that was felt in that, but God, he, he, Jesus walks into the cross knowing that there's going to come a time when he's bearing sin. God will forsake him. Can you imagine the grief upon Christ in those moments? It's deep and it's massive and we do well to come to grips with all of it. The last is absorbing the wrath of God. If Jesus did not absorb the wrath of God, there would be no atonement. Romans 3.25 says this, For whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's a big word, we'll talk about it in a second, for whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This is to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That verse is putting forth this understanding of propitiation. Propitiation, the Greek word propitiation means this. A sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end, and in so doing, changes God's wrath toward us into favor. Get past this scary understanding of this big, long propitiation word and come to grips with that definition. What Christ's death on the cross and the absorption of the wrath of God does is propitiation, which means God now, God once had wrath upon us and our sin. Because of the finished work of Christ, we now have favor. So not only is wrath removed from us, through substitutionary atonement, but favor is brought in its place. Stop and swallow, bathe in the beauty of that. Sin has to be paid for, and it's paid for by the wrath of God. That wrath is removed and replaced with favor. That's propitiation. Because of the truth of this next statement. Because of the eternal and unchangeable holiness of God, sin must be paid for, and Christ is here absorbing all this wrath. The application. What is the point of this? Talked about at the beginning, several points. One, to bring us to a place of worship, to allow us to understand these to go past the elementary teaching of the doctrine of Christ and go on towards maturity and allow us to be able to articulate our faith and what was happening to that. But more than all of those things, it is, it is this. 
closing with, with two quotes of application. First, from a guy named Walter Wink. Killing Jesus was like trying to destroy a dandelion seed head by blowing on it. You blow on a dandelion seed head, and all these seeds go, and they, some of them take root, and some of them sprout up new dandelions. Killing of Jesus was meant to do that, but the, the atonement that took place there transformed all of us so that we could go and live lives proclaiming this gospel. Point. This is the application. When we come to grips with the atonement of Christ, we are like those dandelion seeds that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that Satan meant to blow away, to destroy Christ. Plants more seeds and more dandelions spring up. The point and purpose of atonement is that you might bring glory to God. One of the benefits of the atonement is we get to have relationship with God, enjoy Him forever, and spend our eternity in heaven. That's a side benefit. The real thing that was taking place there is that dandelion going and sprouting them. Now we can come and be this dandelion and focus attention towards God. Look at God. Look at God. That is the point of what we're doing here. That is the, the essence of the atonement. And we've got to come to grips with that. We've got to apply that to our lives. Walk around this earth knowing the wrath that was supposed to be yours. Knowing that Christ bared your pain. Knowing that Christ died for you. Knowing that Christ was abandoned for your sake, for your behalf. So that Christ would be glorified. So that God would be glorified. So that you would have a perfect relationship with God. You are righteous through the work of Christ. That's point number one, application. And number two, that was the, the touchy-feely, yes, that's great, hip, hip, hooray, let's sing a Chris Tomlin song. This, a little more difficult, a little more hard, but nonetheless, application that we have to come to grips with. Driscoll says this in his book, at the foot of the cross, we learn that ours is a faith, not a victorious life, but rather victorious life through excruciating pain and death. Let's read that again. At the foot of the cross, we learn that our is a faith, not a victorious life, not of our best life now, not of no more pain, not of no more tragedy. We get a brand new boomer. It's not the victorious life that we're the victorious life that is ours now, the victorious life that comes through excruciating pain. Do you see what he's getting at? Subsequently, Jesus welcomes us to pick up our cross and die. You see how that's not touchy-feely anymore? We just spent a half hour thinking and talking through the excruciating pain and all that the atonement was and all that the cross was. And our call and command from the lips of Christ himself is to pick up our cross, daily be crucified. Mark 8, 34 and 35. I want the Holy Spirit to take this verse into your heart and speak to it. I'm going to say no more than just read this verse. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Let's pray.
God, I I come before you thankful for the finished work of the cross and the atonement that you brought to us, God. Lord, I pray that you would connect every soul in this room to the excruciatingly painful death and all that it entails. God, connect our hearts with that suffering. And give us the courage to daily pick up our cross and follow you. Give us the beautiful hope and peace that comes from understanding that we are righteous. We own the life of Christ. Guide our hearts now as we respond to you, Father. Allow us to rest and struggle with your atonement and connect with its suffering. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and descend upon us as we respond, Father, and allow us to to think through all of the results of these doctrinal, biblical truths that you've laid before us tonight. And allow our hearts to, to, to worship you, God. And allow our lives to daily take up our cross. Willingly suffer as your son suffered. It's in Christ's name.